0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Free Cab. We are coming right after the Revs' first win of the 2021 season, a 1 0 win over DC United at Gillette Stadium, where the lone goal was an own goal by DC defender Brandon Hines Eich in the 48th minute, coming from a Brandon By cross into the box. I'm Chris Lucas, and joining me today, as usual, is Greg Johnstone.
1: Greg, how are you doing? Good, Chris. It's nice not having to host. Uh, we're flipping roles this week. We're trying something a little bit new. And uh, I got to say, it's it's really nice not having to stumble over the intro. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will be glad to hear someone, a new voice, uh, stumble through the intro and drop some ums and ahs. So uh, welcome. Good luck on your first show hosting. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. And uh, yeah, there's going to be plenty of stumbling. Uh, no doubt
0: about it. But that's fine. We'll, we'll go through it and we'll get through it. Go, go easy on them in the comments, guys. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, let's move right into it. I mean, Revs got their 1-0 victory. It uh, wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, but uh, I don't know. What Do you, you
1: have any key takeaways from tonight's game, Greg? Uh, my key takeaway is it's, it's really more of a man-of-the-match performance that I want to tip the cap to, and it's kind of weird starting the podcast out this way because I, I think a lot of people aren't going to be talking about him after this game, but Matt Polster was astonishing tonight. It was a very rough game. It was a very challenging game. It's a game that You know, we talk about last week where the Revs were unable to keep the ball, possess the ball, move the ball from the back third to the final third. And this week, DC pretty much bunkered in was very, very physical with the Revolution uh, in the D.C., half of the field. Matt Polster really anchored down everything, and, you know, we'll talk about the new guys. I thought there were some really, really good performances tonight, but uh, Matt Polster, 88 pass percentage. He was 9 for 11 uh, in duels. He was 4 for 5 on long balls. He had 8 recoveries. He drew 4 fouls. Um, he was 2 two. For two on aerials, one, he had two interceptions, really just everything you could ask from him. He had 68 touches. All of them seemed pretty good. He, he really anchored that midfield very, very well. And after a week of some really sloppy play from the central midfield, it, it was really nice to see Polster come in and really dominate the midfield in the way that he did, because I think a performance like that, even though the Revolution, it didn't really pay off In the final third, they didn't really get a ton of chances in the offensive third. Uh, They certainly bossed this game around, and and DC United really didn't get anything going the opposite way. Uh, And I think that has to do with some really, really stable play in the midfield, and a lot of that goes to Matt Polster tonight.
0: Yeah, you know, Matt Polster's name is not said very often at all. I don't remember even one time really hearing his name. night and for a defensive midfielder that's uh that's a good thing um you know he's not making mistakes out there I think that's a solid uh takeaway you have for me I guess I'm going maybe more obvious route Uh, I'm looking at the fact that there was zero offensive goals uh we still took away three points but the inability to finish has is is that still going to be an ongoing issue through 2021 uh I hope not you know we saw we saw a much better team in the playoffs last year but uh I guess I'm not super hopeful after tonight's performance. Uh, I'm uninspired, I think is the right term to use there.
1: Yeah, I mean, your home opener, you want to come out and really dominate your opponent, especially a weaker opponent. DC United was shorthanded coming into this game. I think they're missing something like 10 players. Um, They won last week at at New York City, but if you look at those stats, they they didn't really hold a lot of possession. It really wasn't a secret that they were going to bunker in and the Revolution were going to play this game on the front foot. Uh, The Revolution leave this game, even though they leave with three points, they had 0.25 expected goals. Um, They had six shots total. They had five chances created, no big chances created. They had six corners. They had two shots on target. Uh, And and really, if it's not for a bizarre deflection that results in an own goal, do the revs get that breakthrough? Uh, I'm not totally sure. So, um, you know, there's a lot to talk about in terms of why that is. Um, Bruce Arena wasn't very happy with the officiating, and I, I certainly kind of echo those sentiments. Um, I think DC United was extremely physical with them. Bruce mentioned in the in the presser that you know whenever Carlos Hill got the ball, he was basically fouled. Um I mean, DC was certainly very, very physical. and and you know, the revs last year struggled against those types of teams, those types of defenses. So uh, I hate to kind of dust off that narrative again and say, is this going to be a problem going into twenty twenty one? Not a good first game for this offense. Um, Bruce says he wasn't concerned about the the offense. He thinks he'll get more chances against teams that apply different tactics. But uh, it's certainly concerning because if you're a weaker team and you see the Revolution come away with 0.25 expected goals, I think some teams that are weaker against on the on paper against the Revolution, they're going to look at this game and they're going to copy this template.
0: Yeah, the Revs have a hell of a test coming up next week, uh, traveling to Atlanta. So, um, but anyways, yeah. Moving on from that, you know. What what about thoughts on the new guys? You know, we had first starts for Christian Mafla, Wilfred Captoom, Arna Tristesen. Tristesen? I don't know how to say it. Uh, I've been hearing it pronounced so many different ways now. Um, but yeah, Mafla and Kaptum got 54, 64 minutes each, respectively. Tristesen,
1: 81 minutes. I thought they looked pretty solid, but I don't know. Greg, what do you think? Yeah, kind of a, a mixed bag. Let's start with Mafla. Um I thought Mafla played pretty decent Um he obviously had the least number of minutes compared to everyone else. He seems to be the least, I don't want to say in fit, uh, but I I don't think he got any minutes in preseason. Apparently he had a rough game at revs two last week. Um, You know, overall pretty good. He had the most touches in the first half of any revs player. So they don't seem scared to, to go to him. Uh, He had 83% pass accuracy, uh, two for four on long balls. He had 48 touches overall, three for seven on duels, four interceptions, five recoveries. He played pretty well. Uh, He, 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 did have some nice moments. My one big concern here with Mofla was he did have three fouls. A couple of them were a little choppy, including one where he actually went to ground and he was very late going to ground. I think the referee missed a yellow card on that particular play. Um, you, you, you certainly could get him for putting spikes into an opponent's leg there. But um, overall I, I think positive marks for Mofla. I, I I I think he's working his way back up to fitness. But overall, I I don't think he was a liability at all. Um, So overall, in a game like this, I I think he was fine. Uh, Captoom seemed to get better as the game went on and on more and more. There were three or four plays in the beginning of the second half, uh, the 56th minute. Uh, he tries sliding the ball into, I think, Bo uh, and the ball kind of pops out to heel, and he fires a shot that's just wide. A minute later, there's a transition play to Buxa, where he slides the ball up to Buxa, and Buxa runs with it, and that ball is just wide. Uh, and then there's another play in the 60th minute, where he's able to kind of slide the ball out to A.J. De La Garza, who's able to move it up to Trostes and that leads to a cross. Um, there was a good five-minute span there, where it seemed like the Revolution were moving the ball well, and they were finally starting to break down the D.C. United defense, uh, and then and then. Of course, Captoom gets a yellow card and went past 60 minutes, and he's not 90 minutes fit either. Bruce confirmed that in the postgame, too. So uh, he came off shortly thereafter, right, as he was getting going. But we saw some flashes of Kap-tum that which is what we are hoping for, what we were expecting coming into the season. So I'm very encouraged by Captoom. I think of the uh, players that, that made their debuts tonight, I think th- he, he had the best debut of them. Uh, Trosteson or Tristison. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his name. We're way off from what we've been doing for the past few weeks. Uh, but either way, he, he, he had an okay game. He seemed a little bit rusty. There were some passes. I think he had a 50% pass accuracy rate. I'm going mm-hmm. to have to look that up real quick. Um, he had a yellow card as well yeah he he had a, sorry he had a 70% pass uh, accuracy he was 14 for 20 he did have one shot on target um but 39 touches just didn't seem to make a whole lot of impact he was 5 for 13 on duels didn't seem to make a a, a ton of impact in this game Again, another guy that I think got a little bit better as time went on, but there were some passes that that he made. I think there was one pass to Maflo where Maflo was kind of overlapping around him, and he was kind of passing back, so they seemed to be on the wrong page there, too. There was another pass where Trosteson passed it into the center to, um, I think, Captoom, and Captoom I think, was moving in a different direction, and that led to an interception, and Captoom won the ball back, so it wasn't a big deal, but um, just little plays like that that Trosteson seemed to be on a a little bit of a different page than everyone else, so he's a week into training. I think we got to give him time. Uh, we'll, We'll see a little bit more from him, But overall, I think passing grades for all three with Captoom being the only guy that I'm going to give some high marks to this game to.
0: Yep, I'd have to agree with that. all of that 100%. Really, to start the game, the Reds started out on the right foot. A lot of that thanks to those new guys. Um, you know, it was pretty aggressive, especially in the first 10-15 minutes of the match. But after that, everything seemed to slow down. I don't know specifically what what happened. Um, maybe you have some, some light to shed on this, but... Uh, yeah, it, it, the game just really changed after the first 10, 15 minutes.
1: Yeah, it was a bit strange. I, I think that might just be a matter of coming out and starting out on the right foot overall. Um, they came out on the right foot in the second half too. Uh, the Brandon Beigel came pretty early in the second half, I believe in the 48th minute there too. Yep. Um, they seem to dominate the beginning of the half, so that might just be having a little bit more energy, DC uh, kind of sitting back and, and waiting for the right moment to counter. So that, that might have been more of a tactical issue. Uh, but the first, as you say, first 10, 15 minutes, I think they got three corners right off the bat, and you're thinking, boy, they're going to dominate this. the the final third. Uh, they're going to set up a lot of set pieces. We're going to be throwing corners to books all night. Um, it, it didn't really play out that way. Um, I, I did see a stat that I think through nine minutes of the game, MLS soccer's stat tracker or whatever said something like they had uh dc united had like three accurate passes or something like that dc uh, it also might be just a matter of dc did not show up dc took a longer bit of time to to warm up. it was ugly yeah yeah it it, it was not a good opening uh for those guys but yeah it really the revs started out their best at the beginning of the game uh, and then as the game kind of seemed to settle in it seemed to be a lot more even matched Look at defensively, I guess, if you want to try to put
0: a positive spin on things. You know, the Revs did walk away with a shutout. You know, Matt Turner, Kessler, and Farrell back there got a goose egg up there. And, you know, uh, credit to to Farrell for making a couple of goal line clearances. One of them, which almost was not a goal line clearance. The back line, I guess, you know, they deserve some praise, I think, from tonight. You know, when you think about DC's lineup that they were bringing with us, like you mentioned earlier, there was 10, maybe 11 guys that didn't make the trip today. And, you know, you'd think a lot of that was attacking players missing. You'd think that there would be a lot less pressure um, on your defense. But really, especially at the end of the game, there was a lot of pressure and the defense was up to
1: it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to give the defense uh, super flying marks, too, because if we're looking at the D.C. United expected goal stat, that's 0.26. So it was not the, the you know, heaviest game uh, for, for Matt Turner. He certainly did have a couple of you know shaky chances. Um, But for the most part, I I thought the backline did a really nice job of smothering DC United, really preventing them from going on the counterattack. A lot of uh, recoveries uh, in the middle and the final third there, too. The only real time that I thought that the revolution might be in trouble was there was a moment that Andrew Farrell got a yellow card where someone was getting in behind him uh, and kind of shoved him down. And I think the revolution were kind of matching the DC United's physicality, especially as the game went on. Um, But... There were a couple of plays that I think are are worth noting. Andrew Farrell uh, slide tackle in the, what was it, the 30th minute. Mm -hmm. Something Uh, like
0: that.
1: Yeah. uh, uh, Julian Gressel, 34th minute, Julian Gressel throws in a low cross. Uh, Andrew Farrell makes a nice sliding stop, and the ball doesn't kick into the net or anything like that. It just kind of sits there with him, and Henry Kessler is able to clear it a moment later. Um, There was a shaky moment where Andrew Farrell is trying to clear a cross, and it bangs off the post. Uh, So that, I think, was probably D.C.'s best chance of the night, uh, scarily. (laughs) So we almost matched their own goals. But I I thought Andrew Farrell played pretty decently, uh, other than that, own goal aside. And I I think his yellow card was very, very uh, well thought out in in, in squishing that uh, D.C. attack. Overall, though, I mean, outside of a few scary crosses, there wasn't a ton of dangerous play coming from D.C. United. Uh, I think Henry Kessler, by the way, also deserves another shout out for his performance tonight, 83 percent pass accuracy. He was four for eight on long balls and creating a beautiful ball uh, to to bring him by in the second half. Uh, He was four for seven on duels. He had 10 clearances, including four headed clearances. He had uh, two for three on aerials. He had an interception. He had six recoveries. Um, He seemed to be all over the place and he had some really, really tough moments, really, really under pressure moments where there was a press and he was able to break it a couple of times. Um, So very, very solid performance from Henry Kessler today, really stabilized that back line with Mafla pushing up a lot and getting a lot of touches up that left wing. I, I thought overall, Henry Kessler deserves, you know, if Matt Polster is my man of the match, I think Henry Kessler is a very, very close second.
0: Well, you told me before recording that you really wanted to touch on both Polster and Kessler, and I was like, all right, great. So I was waiting for you to get to Kessler because if I had to pick a man of the match, Kessler was going to be the one. So uh, I'm going to go in there and I will take. You can have the poster card. I'll take the Kessler card. He really he really impressed and he he commanded both the back line and set the tempo going forward out of the back as well. Um, uh, he he
1: really impressed me tonight. Now, Chris, I want to get your, your take. on. I'm, I'm going to flip it back on you. I'm going to take the host hat here for a second and throw this take right it. back at you. Uh, one person that I did not mention, but I think we do want to talk about is Brandon by. Obviously, his cross led to the goal. And personally, I think that was pretty lucky overall. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and uh, attempted back heel clearance that <laughs> went through his leg and bounced off the other. Yeah, that was luck. It was actually impressive how like the velocity of that ball came off of the defender. Like I, I had to watch it a few times. Cause like, it just doesn't, look, it looks like something out of a video game where it doesn't look like it should be ricocheting off him into the net not as awesome. fast as it was. Yeah. Um, I'm not totally sure how that happened, but I think I tweeted out something like, you know, pinpoint accuracy for Brandon by to hit that too close to the defender uh, <laughs> for him to properly clear it. Um, but it's, it's kind of true. I mean, that cross wasn't, an amazing cross. It, it was in between two revolution players. I, I think he was trying to put more air on it. Cause I believe Gustavo Bo was, there was some separation between him and Heinz who was in front of him. Uh, and and by just couldn't get it all the way to the back post. So, um, I, I don't want to talk too much about the cross, even though that was the own goal. I, 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 I think I've kind of covered it there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's more luck than skill uh, from a revolution perspective. I, I, I think that's more DC United shooting themselves in the foot. But um, I, I do want to talk about Brandon By a little bit because a lot of people wanted to see Teon Buchanan in a game like this. And I would agree with them that I think this is a spot where you do put in an attacking wing back who can push up the field and cause havoc and break down that final third. And instead they went to Brandon By, which I guess worked out just fine. What did you think about the decision to start By over Tayon? And you know, what did you make of Brandon By's performance on the night? Yeah, I mean, what do you want? Looking at the
0: at the formation or the the roster that the, they rolled out with, this is the starting eleven that I have been saying I wanted ever since uh, Trostason was signed. Uh, this is what I've been wanting to see. I want Tayon coming off the bench as an impact sub. So. Uh, because he's, I don't want him coming in in the 80th minute, though. Uh, let's get that straight. I think he needs to be in around 60th minute. But having Tejan as, as a substitute, I think is such a, an under, I don't, I, I, I don't know if I can find the right word for it, but it's it's such a great weapon to have coming off that you know other teams are not going to be able to necessarily prepare for. Tonight's game, like you were saying, I think would have been the perfect time to give Tejan the rollout at right back um, but seeing that Brandon Bay got it, you got to think, you know, Bruce Arena is really stick to his guns, where he's saying Tayshaun Buchanan is a winger, he is not an outside back. That said, Brandon Bay I thought had uh, a a fine game. Um, I thought that he has he showed quite a few good crosses. Uh, I, I didn't see him in any aerial duels. I know that's where we always look for him to win them, but I did see him do a couple, I guess, precision headers from the midfield. You know, excellent passes as they were. Um, so I, I was actually quite impressed with Brandon Bay. I was k- keeping an eye on him because I, I guess I can kind of understand there's a lot of um, a lot of critics around him, both positive and negative, for different aspects of his game. But I, I made a special point to keep an eye on Brandon Bay tonight, and I, nothing about his game tonight made me question why he was out there. I think that he deserves to have that spot. And uh, despite the fact that I think that maybe Tejan should have got the start tonight, I'm totally fine with uh, with Brandon being out there.
1: Yeah, I think that's a big takeaway that I got too. After especially after the game Brandon had last week, where he struggled a little bit. We talked about it a little bit last week, how he didn't have the best game in Chicago. That may, you know, this might be a spot where you switch it up. You get Tayon on the field. You get him back on the right side of the field, which I think is is more naturally where he is. Um, touching on Tayon though, I, I thought it was interesting that he came in and he played on that left wing again, on that left side. And I don't know if you caught this, but there was a, a play late in the game where. Uh, uh, I almost said Chicago. Who would we play tonight? D.C. United. D.C. United uh, kind of gets the ball. There, there's like a failed clearance and D.C. gets the ball and they throw it up to Gressel, who's wide open on the wing. And there was a I don't know if that was Tayon's guy, but Gressel swings the ball into the box. Kessler clears it. You know, no harm, no foul. But there's some yelling afterwards, and there's there's clearly some very annoyed Revolution players. And I, I can't help but think that maybe that was Tayon's guy. Maybe Tayon blew a, another assignment defensively, and maybe his defensive awareness still has a little bit of ways to go. So I did catch that, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And I thought it was interesting too that he went on, on the left side and you know potentially made another fatal mistake, the you know similar to what we saw in Chicago last week. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. I'm wondering if Tayon goes back out on the left side. I, I kind of am okay with him never going back out there again, or him you know, moving heel to the left and, and putting Tejan on, on the right wing or whatever. but
0: um, yeah. Well, it's worth noting, too, you know, Tejan was playing left wing and not left back, because we did have A.J. De La Garza playing left back yes. uh, at that point, um, which De La Garza, I thought, had a somewhat invisible night. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't know how much of that I, I, I put on Tejan. Um, you know, I, I, maybe, you know, at the end of the game, you know, your final 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is, you are, you are looking to secure the win, not necessarily push to score more goals. Uh, that that was a, a lot of space that Gressel had there, and that was a very scary cross that he put in. I mean, Gressel's good at that.
1: Yeah. Tayon did have a, some nice moments, though, running out the game. Uh, I mean, he, he that last minute, I mean, he pretty much took off the clock himself. So I, I don't want to pile on Tayon Buchanan, but no. uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge fan of him on the left wing. But anyway, getting back to Brandon Bay, I think he said everything right. I mean, this is a game that you know we remember why Brandon Bay is out there. Um, looking at football, foot mob stats, uh, he had 76% pass. Uh, accuracy. He was over three on crosses, um, or one for three, depending on you know if you're looking at the end result. Yes, uh, yes. he did. He did have one key pass. He was seven for eleven on duels. One, he had a clearance. Um, he was three for four on aerials. He had an interception. He had three recoveries. You know, this isn't a busy night for the defense, but he he did you know what he needed to when his number was called. Um, so overall, I, I, you know, I can't really question Bruce. They ended up getting the three points and Bram, I played fine. Um, but yeah, I, 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 think it's, it's worth noting that, you know, seeing this lineup, Teon is a winger. Tae-on, Bruce doesn't view Teon as a right back. Cause I think this is the perfect game and the perfect spot for him to have, uh, moved back into that right back spot. And I just want to follow
0: up too real quick, cause before anyone starts going in the comments or anything like that, saying that I'm saying how, I thought that ran by crossing was good tonight. And then you followed up by saying he had zero for three crossing stats. I think that the eye test, I think they looked fine. I know that they weren't hitting necessarily where they were supposed to be going, but he's whipping in some pretty good-looking crosses. I think he's improving in that aspect, and uh, he did win several corners as well tonight.
1: Crosses are a low percentage stat, and so those—that's that—is one that I usually don't cite because it is a little misleading. You, you could have an, you know, you could be 0 for 3 but have three very dangerous crosses that are, you yeah. know, defended very perfectly. Or you, you could have a cross to a wide open person. You know, it, it's not a great stat to throw out there. As you say, I, I, I probably shouldn't have thrown out that stat. But as I say, I mean, that's fine. Tec- technically 1 for 3 if, you, if you're going off of the end result. He, he had the cross that mattered uh, at the end of the day. We'll take the 33% and we'll move on from there.
0: <laughs> so uh, let's let's actually move on. I will take that hat back. And I wanted to talk about the midfield real quick. I thought the midfield looked pretty good uh, with that polster
1: Captoom partnership. Uh, Greg, what do you think? Yeah, we kind of touched on uh, Polster earlier. I, I kind of phrased Polster. I, I mean, I, I think I've kind of touched on that all the way around. And Captoom, I guess I kind of touched on this one as well. Combined, I thought they made a really, really good pairing. And I'm not sure how much they've trained together whatsoever, but they were doing a very, very good job of rotating, covering the spaces for each other. I thought when right backs moved up, Polster uh, did a very good job of, of covering spots. Kaptum especially seemed to—well, well, Polster and Kaptum, actually, I guess, really, they both did a great job of controlling the midfield, working under pressure, moving the ball safely around the pitch. I'm not sure what Captain's uh percentage was. I know I know um, Polster was 88%. Hang on, let me look up what Captain's was. Yeah, Captain was 82% and I don't recall what last week's were, but I think it was like 60 and 70% or something like that. Captain did they they both really impressed me. Um, considering how they, they couldn't seem to move the ball up at all last week against Chicago, especially in the first half. I, I was really shocked, uh, not, not shocked, but really, really pleased with the ability to possess and move the ball, uh, especially in tight windows and short spaces. Nice reaction times. Uh, I, I think this is your starting to feel going forward. thought it was very interesting that we didn't even see Massiel on the bench. Uh, Tonight, I know there's been a lot of hype about him. Apparently, he was supposed to make his debut last week. It seemed like Bruce Arena was talking about him starting. uh, And, you know, I I think he was, I forget if it was the post game or if it was during his weekly presser, but someone asked about uh, Maciel and if they missed him. And he said, yep, Maciel is very good under pressure, very calm, cool, collected. You know, we saw that tonight from the midfield pairing. So I'm not sure if Maciel is going to break into that midfield pairing. Uh, with them if he's going to kind of play the role that we saw Tommy McNamara play tonight. I'm not totally sure where he fits uh, when he gets healthy, and I assume um, it's a it's a health injury to Masiel. But yeah, very, very interesting that he didn't make even the bench tonight because Bruce Arena uh, implied that he would be healthy for this game.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess I would, uh, the only other thing I would say is that, you know, the Bolster-Captoon partnership, while they looked very good, we have to remember that the opposition was not necessarily a typical MLS side um, tonight. And they were a bit men amongst boys. Hopefully, that's because they work so well together and not because the opposition was so patched together and not typical starters. We Wait,
1: had, I, I got one more thing, too. I just want to note, too. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry, I, I, I should note that it's interesting that we saw Tommy McNamara come off the bench. Even after last week's game, I know Sean talked a little bit about Scott Caldwell. Uh, maybe that was the spot for Scott Caldwell. Uh, I think the depth chart is is uh, coming very, very clear where we have, uh, you know, a, a Polster, Captoom, Maciel, Trio, McNamara, seems to be the fourth guy. And then I think Scott Caldwell is really just there for depth. And I'm not – I just wanted to throw out Luis Caicedo too because Refs 2 doesn't yep. have a game for like another month. They don't play again until May 12th, which I thought was astonishing. Uh, Caicedo not on the bench either. So I don't know where his spot is. I know someone asked – um, or I think I asked the question of what Rev is most likely to be traded during the season. Uh, I don't really know what Luis Caicedo's role is, so I'd like to double down on that take uh, going forward in the season. So, sorry, please continue. That's fine. No, we're, we're
0: kind of going right into, right into the next point here where I want to talk about the substitutions. There were three substitutions that Bruce Arena made. Uh, 54th minute, A.J. De La Garza came on for Mafla. 64th minute, uh, Tommy McNamara, for Wilfred Captoom and the 81st minute Buchanan on for There were two other substitutions Bruce could have made, and he mentioned in the post-game uh, presser that he wished that maybe he had taken off Mafflon Kaptoum at the same time to save that one that one break in the game to maybe do another substitution. I don't know what, what he was wanting there, but uh, I don't know. Greg, do you think that that Bruce could have done some things differently tonight?
1: Yeah, so just to re state the substitution rules that i'm pretty sure have rolled over from last year uh but i'm not 100 sure on because these things change like every other day uh you can make up to five subs uh but you can only stop the game three times uh and so tonight i think bruce arena kind of realized in hindsight that you know the substitutions he made were based more or less on fitness we saw mafla come off for aj de la garza um captain came off he got his yellow card i think i i, I don't know if um how much the yellow card influenced things because he came right off right after so i don't know if he could have gone longer or not um but bruce arena said afterwards that he wished he had taken off mafla and captain at the same time and it seems like he he gave captain a little bit of a longer leash than he wished he had uh so i i, I think that kind of answers our question that captain was also on a minute minutes limit tonight uh and then yeah trust and also not playing a full 90 minutes he's building up his fitness uh, as time goes on so Yeah, I I think Bruce was a little frustrated with himself that he limited himself and he had to go off of the fitness of the players that he put out in in the starting lineup as opposed to uh, maybe some more... Strategic decisions uh, that that impacted the game flow. I think maybe he he wished he had taken off Captoom around the same time, and then that way he could have put in another uh, you know defensive player, taken off Gustavo Bo for a Scott Caldwell or a John Bell um, or something to that effect. Um, I I think that would have certainly helped see out a one nothing grinded out game a little bit better because I, I I personally think in those late minutes Gustavo Bo doesn't serve a whole ton of purpose. Um, mm-hmm. Especially in a game like this, where he only had 32 touches, he was a bit—he was a bit—I uh, know we're going to get to this a little bit later—but uh, he was a little bit invisible, and I—I I don't know. I just don't see any reason for Gustavo Bow to be out there in the waning minutes of a one-nothing game. So I, th- I found it interesting that you said that
0: uh, they could go for some more defensive depth. Uh, I know specifically late in the game, that's what you're looking to do, but there was also an inability to to really create anything offensively. Uh, are you surprised at all that we didn't see any other? Offensive changes, you know, we had the likes of uh, Kiza on the bench who looked really good in his 10 minutes last week. Uh, There's also Emma Boateng on the bench. We also have Teal Bunbury on the bench, Uh, you know, a golden boot winner for the club last year with I think it was eight goals. Um, And they all sat there and not one offensive change was made except for Tejan Buchanan coming on for Trosteson, which also, you know, you alluded to as more of a fitness thing. Maybe not so much with Joss's, and I'm not really sure, but he definitely looked gassed at that point of the game. Are you surprised at all that no more offensive changes were made?
1: Yeah, I mean, Teal and Teal, uh, instead of Teal, um, at the time, I thought was a little bit interesting, since I thought Teal, in my opinion, I would rather see Teal on the left side than Teon on the left side. But, you know, Teon Buchanan is too good of a player to not get into the game at some point. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of see that line of thinking. Um, But I I think more, I mean, we we see Bruce Arena kind of hold his subs at the end and play his cards late in the game. So I think if he had one or two more subs, you know, not needing a goal, I think we would have seen, uh, you know, Gustavo Bo come off for Scott Caldwell or another body in the middle. Um, I guess John Bella is really your only other player along the back line other than A.J. De La Garza. So I, I don't know if, you know, we would have gone with five guys in the back. I know we saw Mancien. They kind of throw on an extra center back in Mancien last year. So maybe John Bell is a guy that would have come in late. You know, I I think that would have been a sub that if we had one more to burn, I think that's what we would have seen. I'm fine with the subs that he made, though. I'm not complaining overall. I, I do. I think Teal Bunbury could have added something to this game. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, There there was a time right before Cap'Chim came off where it looked like we, we were... We're pushing for a second and we really should have capitalized, but it seemed like once Captoon came off, the wind kind of t- got taken out of the sails a little bit. I don't know. I, I, I can't question the subs too much. I think Taeyong Buchanan is the guy you put on there. Uh, but yeah, if, if you had a fourth sub, maybe you do take off a bow for a Bow Tang and, and hope he kind of serves the same purpose as Tayon Buchanan, as a guy who can take the ball down, burn past some defenders, and maybe kind of hold the ball in the corner a little bit. But I, I don't think they were ever going to push for a second in this game. All right, well, uh, that brings us
0: up to the listener questions then. Um, we got several questions coming in from Twitter. Uh, we've got a couple from Discord as well. So let's just start right off. Uh, we have James Downing, and he's asking from Twitter. He says, I don't think I'll remember this one in years to come. Thoughts on the performances of Trossus and Captoom and Glass Legs? Also, Diego got the start for Austin. So I think we've already touched on Trossus and Captoom and Glass Legs quite a bit. Uh, Glass Legs, of course, referring to Christian Mofla, which didn't look like last legs out there tonight, I don't think.
1: Um, diamond legs, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm I'm calling them diamond legs until until further notice. Mofla's diamond legs to me. I mean, he he's he's good until proven bad. So, Christian diamond legs Mofla here. All right. That's right. let's get on so, the Mofla train. Yeah, let's
0: start the Mofla train.
1: Let's do that. We, we need we need a solid left back. You know why can't it be Mofla? Why not? yeah in, in regards to his other comments though I don't think I'm gonna be remembering this game for years to come no. of all the games I've ever seen this was one of them um and, and we kind of made the joke lead a very short podcast uh, because there's not a whole lot to talk about in this game we' we're, we're doing a good job I think we're about half half an hour in you mm-hmm. know good for us because uh, this has been more way more entertaining than, than most of this game uh you know between the you know point five expected goals from both teams tonight. Diego Fagundes did get the start. He scored two first goal in Austin history. So uh, James didn't know that when he was sending us that question, but congrats to Diego Fagundes. Uh, You know, someone else scored two goals in that game. So as of this recording, uh, I think the game is over. So it's at least for another week. Diego Fagundes is the second leading scorer in two MLS franchises history. So congratulations to Diego Fagundes.
0: (laughs) I think he also got an assist as well, which, uh, you know. Great for him. Uh, congrats to, to Diego and nice to see him having success out there. Diego Fagunda's Redemption Tour 2021. Uh, moving on. We got another question from Twitter here. we got Randy LH. OH. That was a penalty, right? And there was no context around this. We assume that he is talking about uh, the Kessler uh, incident. Was it on a corner kick? I think it was. It's eluding me what minute of the game it was. It was late in the game for sure. Uh, and he was definitely run over by a DC defender. Do you think that was a penalty at
1: all? Yeah, I mean, it was certainly very physical. The problem with corner kicks, and I I wish we had Jake on for this episode. Uh, You know, normally we get Jake on. uh, Not not intentionally. Not intentionally, but whenever we we schedule him on, some terrible uh, refereeing decision is made. So uh, I wish we had his opinion. But more or less, corner kicks are just all at wars at some points and referees just really turn the other way it's really tough to get a, a penalty call on a corner kick this one seems pretty egregious to me um but you know i'm not i'm not convinced that there's a single good referee in mls at this point so yeah. i i thought it was i was a little annoyed by it i actually thought this was this question was asking about the handball there was a free kick that got sent in and it looks like it's grazes off of a um, dc united defender's hand um that was a little bit more questionable because it wasn't Totally, it was accidental. It wasn't totally far off the 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 body. Um, it was, you know, I, I don't think there's any time for the defender to react. It didn't really change the direction of the ball too too much. It was pretty much not, you know, inconsequential. So, um, I, 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 it did look like it hit off the hand. I, I would have liked a penalty on that one as well. Um, but I, I, you know, of the uh, refereeing decisions we've seen in the last two weeks. Um, I I don't think those two were the most egregious, but if I'm calling it, I I would have given a yes to both of those.
0: Yep. I'm on the same boat as you, yes to both. You know, the first one, that handball specifically, I know Charlie Davies said that's not a penalty, but I don't know how that handball would not be a penalty. You had – I think it was Trosteson was at the far post in in a lot of space – and that ball comes through and it hit the defender's leg, which would have played Trosteson on. And his arm was out. I Granted, he's not trying to hit the hit his hand on the ball. I think that's pretty obvious, but his hands were not behind his back or anywhere along his body. Uh, if that ball did not hit his hand, I feel like it would have possibly bounced right to Trosteson at the, at the far post um, for a debut to happen. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that should have been a penalty uh, more blatantly than the uh, the Kessler one. The Kessler one, which I did not think was a penalty until I saw the replay. And then I, when I saw how badly the player ran right through Kessler, it, I, I don't know why it, they didn't even go to bar or anything on this. Yeah, I, I think it was a poor bar performance.
1: Yeah, back-to-back refereeing weeks. Uh, MLS is back. Um, We've got John Pil- Pilkington, right? Kind of boring yep, game.
0: See. But a win is a win. Tejan's coming on the left was a shock, but he did
1: better. Did Mofla solidify his starting spot? Greg, I'll, I'll let you take that. Yeah, I mean, Tejan did come in on the left. He did do a little bit better, um, assuming that Julian Gressel was not his man late in the game and almost, uh, <laughs> you know, led to a, a scary moment uh, there a little bit. But yeah, in, in terms of Christian Moffla playing left back, Pretty good, good performance. I think he was always brought in to be the starter, so solidify his starting spot, I think, is a good way to put this. I, I think it was a very encouraging performance. I think if he's at full fitness, he's going to be the starter. I don't think they they went out and got him to back up Dewan Jones. Um, Dewan Jones, too, had such a rough game. I can't imagine Dewan Jones as the starter in Week 3, so I, I think Mafla is the starter moving forward. I think we're going to see Mafla get... 75-ish minutes next week. I'm sure they're still building him his fitness up. I don't know if we're still going to see a, a full 90 from him next week. Um, and it, it's going to be a much tougher opponent, too, so I think it'll be a challenge for him. Uh, but uh, I, I think he, he's solidified his starting spot for now. Um, I, I think we will see some sort of rotation between DeWan Jones and Mafla, whether it is short rest, whether it's based on who plays well. Um, I do think that there is a competition there. Um if, if this was a Major League Baseball bullpen, I would not say it's a closer by committee or a left back by committee, but I would say there is a strong favorite for saves. Uh, I'll put it that way. So I, I think Christian Moffla is going to get probably a good 70 percent of the starts uh, at, as of this point. But I, I do think Dewan Jones is still going to be battling and still get the occasional start here and there at left back.
0: So I'm going to follow up with that with my own question now that I've just come up with. Uh, something that we have not talked about really yet is the fact that uh, Dewan Jones did get a red card last week and the revolution did appeal it but their appeal was denied um, by a panelist of morning people yes yeah thank you oh, that's that's exactly the word I was about to use um, so it, I, shockingly it did not get it, it did not get overturned but if Mafla was going to be starting this game anyways, and if it, this is Mafla's spot to lose, why would the Revolution risk losing one of their two appeals on, uh, on DeWan Jones if
1: if he wasn't necessarily in the game plan for tonight? Well, first off, and and this was going to be my final thought. I was going to end, end this podcast on a rant, but I'll I, get yeah. it here. I mean, for those that aren't, aren't living on Twitter here, for those that aren't living on Twitter, pro referees, to their credit— released a video talking about the VAR decisions. And they also put out a statement uh, about VAR and all the VAR decisions made in week one of MLS. So there's video and, and there's interactions between the referee and the VAR official um, with the Dewan Jones play that you hear the VAR official talk about it not being a red card and not being outside of the box. Or, or sorry, not being a red card. The, the the VAR was about the red card. We thought it was originally if it was inside the box or not. And we were, if you remember our episode last week, uh, Jake was furious that this was, you know, discussed as a, um, you know, penalty or no penalty as opposed to a red card. It turns out VAR was right in, in reviewing this as a red card. But the problem was that the referee stood by the decision and, and said it was a uh, obvious goal scoring opportunity. What's interesting is that in this video that Pro puts out, you hear the VAR officials say, "Yeah, we're going to review this," but there's no conversation with the referee and the VAR official, which is very interesting. And what's even more interesting is that about an hour later, instead of after this video is put out, Pro puts out a statement that says that they don't recommend that being a red card. They they don't think that it was, uh, you know, he was the last defender back. So. They disagree with the referee that made the decision that ignored the VAR's recommendation. Uh, And then what's what's even more astonishing is that MLS upheld the appeal. So the answer to your question, why would they risk this, is one, they thought they were going to win it, and based on Pro's letter, they should have won it. I don't see any other way around it than just they were right, MLS is wrong, and I'm not sure why it was upheld. In terms of if Mafla is the starter, why even risk it. I do agree with that kind of statement, but Mofalo was out there 55 minutes. I'm sure Monday or Tuesday of last week, they weren't sure how much they were going to get out of him. So I think Monday, Tuesday, you see a very obvious uh, red card that you think is going to be overturned. I, I agree with Bruce's decision to go out, try, try to challenge this because you don't know if Mofalo is able to go a full 90. You know, I, I think his, his status at that stage was pretty unsure and you don't know the week of training ahead of him uh, and I think Dewan Jones if he was available this week I, I think we might have seen Dewan Jones starting we saw Mafla in the back half of the game maybe at 30 25 minutes um, so I, I, I think it really has to do with fitness once again I, I think the substitutions in the lineup have a lot to do with fitness and who was available for this game
0: uh, yeah I think that's that's an excellent way to, to look at it and I do agree with you I think that it it should have been one overturned and two, I don't I don't blame them for for going with it I was just curious. As to why you would do that, if necess- if DeJuan Jones wasn't necessarily in your plans going forward, but yeah, it, it does make a lot of sense with the fitness. And so, I'm sorry, I wasn't meaning to incite your rant oh, no, so okay. early in, in the show, but
1: well, well, I I had the pleasure of asking Bruce Arena at the midweek press conference what did he think of it, 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 the announcement that the uh, red card was upheld came out. I'm not joking. 10 minutes before this midweek press conference with Bruce Arena. So I had the pleasure of saying, we just got word that this is upheld. What do you think of it? And he was, I mean, he was ready for that question. He was ready to unload on it. I mean, he said it was absolutely ridiculous. And, and you know, we talked about it last week and, and you know, we're obviously biased Revs fans. And, you know, I understand how in real time, how a referee who is 30, yards away or whatever and is far behind from the play he doesn't see the lineup with Andrew Farrell you know he doesn't see if he if Farrell is in line or if Farrell has the angle or whatever so I can understand how the referee in real time makes that error I don't understand how the referee makes that error with VAR with a VAR official disagreeing with him Um, and that's really annoying but whatever and I also but but even beyond that what is incomprehensible to me is how pro puts out a statement saying this isn't a red card yet MLS upholds it so I'm not really sure what the process is here or who's in charge of these things, but, and, and I'm channeling my inner Jake here. I know this is, this rant has gone on way too long, but, mm-hmm. and the harm isn't that DeWan Jones missed this game. As you said, the revolution, uh, every MLS team have two unsuccessful appeals to suspensions and the revolution are one week in, I guess, two weeks in, and and they've now burned one of them. Uh, so it, it kind of puts them at a, a disadvantage to have one challenge remaining and, I don't know why they have one challenge remaining. I, it doesn't—it it blows my mind that this appeal was denied. I, I, it does not make any sense to me whatsoever because it seems like everyone in the world, other than the people on this panel and the referee from the Chicago game, think it was a red card. It's absolutely insane to me. Yeah.
0: Insane. I think insane is the best way to put it. Moving on from your rant, we, we can come back to it later if you want. We do have final thoughts coming up. Uh, but we have some questions to to still get through. Um, I'm gonna skip a couple, skip a question here. We'll get back to it afterwards. But on the topic of Tejan Buchanan, so Paulo S says, did Tejan do enough to get his starting spot back? Um, I guess I'll take this one. I don't think that it's necessarily his starting spot to begin with. And no, I don't think he did uh, enough of anything. I you know we touched on it earlier. I think that he had some defensive lapses tonight um, he's shown that he has the ability to get past the defender uh, to create a foul in in dangerous positions but I don't think that necessarily that's his spot uh, I think it's more or less uh, Trossen's position to lose on the left um, but I don't I still don't see Tejan necessarily playing as a left winger uh, I see he's much more effective on the right side uh, and that's where I would like to see him personally. It's just, it's a crowded, crowded ship over there. And if he's not playing right back, he's not going to be playing right wing either when you have the big, big money players already occupying those spots. Uh, It's a really tough position for him. Uh, Greg, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, even if Tayon Buchanan came out and played a sparkling 10 minutes and scored and didn't have a single bad touch and absolutely dazzled, uh, if this question was asked to me, I I still think I'd be hesitant to say yes. Um, I'm not sure who he, he takes over for, and i'm not sure where he plays cuz it seems they're they're pretty motivated to keep him as a winger and come come off the bench as the top winger i think that's his role um as we touched on it earlier that if th- this is a good game for him to play right back and he didn't so i think you know he's either playing above Trosteson or he's playing over heel and I, I don't think there's an argument to be made for either one of them. The Revolution are going to have to figure out what they want to do with Tayon Buchanan, because if it's true that there's European interest in him, especially as an outside back, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you can go this whole season with him getting, you know, a start one in every three games as a left winger and, you know, getting nine or 10 minute appearances here. I'm not sure what the long-term plan with Tayon Buchanan is here. And, and, you know, if he's coming off of the bench, you know, I, I'm, I'm very concerned, uh, over his long-term outlook I, I don't know where you who you take off to fit him in there i think the the obvious answer is you rotate him with Brandon buy depending on matchup um but I, I I don't know i don't think he's won a starting spot and I don't know which spot he is closest to winning back i, I guess it's left wing
0: yeah I think it's safe to say that the right back by committee with by and Buchanan is not going to happen if it did not happen tonight I don't think it's going to happen at all yeah, i agree agree I wanted to get the last question from Twitter here. It's from Brian Little. He says, how well of a deep run do you think the Res will make in the U.S. Open Cup this year? Do you push for that in order to win a championship or focus more on supporter shield playoff positioning? And at first, I thought that this was a dig at me because my bold prediction, I know, Greg, you made a bold prediction, and you've now doubled down on that. I don't have any chance to double down on mine because my my bold prediction was that the Res are going to go out and they're going to win the U.S. Open Cup this year. And maybe three days after I made that bull prediction and, it, and the podcast went live, the U.S. Open Cup was officially canceled. Um, so I included this question for two reasons. One, to annoy myself. And two, uh, just because I did want to talk about the fact that the U.S. Open Cup is not going to happen anymore this year. And it really bums me out. I mean, that's one of my most favorite tournaments of the season. But if there's anyone else that does not know yet the u.s open cup has officially been canceled uh i still don't know why uh, i mean i guess i know why it's the pandemic we, you know we're all we're all still working through it um i i just thought they had a plan in place to to proceed even if it was in an extremely bizarre format uh but yeah u.s open cup 2021 rip on to 2022 um before i move on gregs you have any thoughts on the open cup
1: yeah, I just want to say I think in our bold predictions episode I said that when the revs get knocked out of the US Open Cup, everyone should tweet you and, you know, blame you for that, you know, not winning the US Open Cup. And I don't think did you have anyone tweet at you uh, when the US Open Cup was canceled? <laughs> I did not know people have not heeded your instructions very well. So, so if you've not uh, listened if, if you're listening to this and you haven't if you have a Twitter and you follow us and Chris if you could tweet at Chris and just, get, you know, just really angrily compliment him for hosting the show, tell him he did a great job, and then say, "I can't believe you got the U.S. Open Cup canceled. We were going to win this year." Just say, just get really mad at him, you know, drop an f-bomb, get really pissed off at him. It's all his fault, and I, I think our listeners need to hold him accountable for that. So, yep. uh, get what's your Twitter handle, Chris? Make sure we can get the, the, yeah, the massive reach. At Chris Velucis,
0: it's spelled G R E G J A W N S T O N E. yeah so raise request
1: chris and give us a five-star review and we greatly appreciate it thank you exactly yep uh
0: yeah okay so we we, i wanted to touch on the open cup we did that my pain is now behind me uh we had two questions coming in from discord which by the way feel free to jump over to discord we uh we take questions from discord as well um i'm going to take uh macho's question first he says why can't this team seem to break down park the bus and uh greg what are your thoughts
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the same issue we had last year. It's really frustrating. I mean, we we can give them a pass because DC United was pretty physical and the referee wasn't giving anything. Um, We did see some yellow cards tonight, but there really wasn't, you know, and and Henry Kessler, you know, we talked about it, I thought got fouled in the box. It it was a pretty physical game overall, and, and, you know, I guess we can give him a a little bit of a break on that. But, man, I I mean – 0.25 0.25 expected goals is a really bad performance, especially against a weaker team. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're playing a 5-4-1 or whatever formation. I'm not sure what the answer is. My hope is that Kap-tum, you know, gets stronger and better, and he adds that passing presence in the center of the field that can break down teams. We did see a little bit of that, some flashes from that in Captoom, and, and going into the season, I think that was... Supposed to be the help. I think the, the Revs lacked a number eight last year that helped in the final third and in the middle thirds. Um, and, and, you know, Lee Wynn helped a little bit last year, but, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot of creativity from the midfield. They really pushed, you know, Lee Wynn and Tommy McNamara. And it really didn't, you know, Christian Munea, they put in the center. It, it really didn't add up at times without Carly's heel. So, um, you know, when, when Carly's heel is getting hammered, like he was tonight, we still didn't have a whole lot of answer. And I'm, I'm hoping that Captoom is the reason or, or is the, the answer to the question of breaking down that final third when, when Carly's heel is neutralized and is being beaten up. Um, but it's, it is a concern. And I certainly, under, I, I second Macho's sentiments that you, you hope this is not a continuing trend from last season. Cause this was really was the one thing that they, they addressed in the off season. It's that they over, they, they increased their offense. So games like this don't happen.
0: Yep. Uh, I also am concerned. I mean, I don't think it's just park the bus. It's just a standard defense this team seems to struggle with. And offensively, I think the Revolutions still have a problem with predictability. Uh, they come in, they're going to be trying to get the ball to their playmaker, and then they want to get their goal scorers in position. Uh, and it's just the same same formula, uh, rinse and repeat, um, over and over again. The times that the Revs have the best chances of scoring is on the break. Uh, there's never a, like a sustained possession where the revolution are actually threatening where you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I think a goal might be coming soon. You're just waiting for a turnover to happen because of either selfish play or uh, just forcing it. Uh, it instead of waiting for, for positioning to develop, waiting for o- overlapping runs to set themselves up. You rarely see an offensive switch from this team. Um, so I, I, I think it's just it's a lot of predictability, and defenses just know what to expect. If if the revs can start turning it around and you know throwing in a couple surprises here and there, I think that you can start
1: seeing the offense open up a bit. Well, and, and th- this is going to lead into our next question, but there's another reason. Do you want to read the next question and then I can rant about why else we couldn't score tonight? Yeah, yeah. So the last question that we have is from TSV11. It says, how much leeway
0: should we give Bo? I know he is good to score an absolute banger of a goal every few games, but I don't think he brings anything when he doesn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're looking for, you know, main offenders on why they really struggle tonight, Gustavo Bow, I mean, just really didn't do a whole lot. Two shots, one shot on target, one block shot, you know, 10 for 20 on passing. You know, he had point oh eight expected goals. Um, you know, he, he isn't a skilled enough player to, as a passer, to create things. He relies on other people. And, you know, I'm very happy Adam Bucza seems to be a better player. When Adam Bucza has the ball, you know, we saw him run a counterattack. We see him win balls in the midfield. Um, We see him, you know, able to move the ball a little bit better uh, and pass the ball and and, and hold up and and move the ball. He had 74% pass accuracy tonight. Gustavo Bo doesn't really do that. Gustavo Bo just scores goals. That's his real main key value to this team. So when he's getting two shots and one of them is on target – um, which was a nice shot. It was right at the keeper, but he had a lot of pace on it. Yeah. You know, great. You know, all that. I, I think the one part of the game that really had me screaming at the television was uh, Carly's heel slides the ball over to Gustavo Bo. I think it was in the 60. Yes. Well, I don't have the minute with me, but Gustavo bow, there's a turnover at midfield. Carly's heel runs the ball into the box. Bo runs to his right. So he's, you know, kind of on the right side of the 18 yard box doesn't shoot it. I don't know why that's literally The one time his, he doesn't
0: become selfish. Yeah.
1: That is why you're, that is why you were there. You were there to shoot the ball when you can see goal and you were within the box. Normally, you know, I'm yelling at him for shoot when he's outside the box, <laughs> he's inside the box and he's not shooting. So that's weird. Then he gets surrounded by defenders Then he kind of crosses through goal. It's through the, you know, right through the six yard box. It was a pretty nice cross. It, it could have, you know, if someone was right there would have been very, very dangerous, but unfortunately there was no one there to, to tap it in. Um, so I'm not going to give him total crap for that one, but you know, balls get slid to him, you know, just wind up and and let it rip Gustavo. I mean, that's, that's why you're there. That's, that's your talent. So, you know, I, I, I saw this question and I agree. I'm not yelling for him to get benched, but, you know, this is a 4-4-2 formation. We're moving Bo up to goal. We're, we're expecting him to contribute. We're expecting him to score goals. He had a little bit of a, a step back in production. And, and a lot of that is because he wasn't playing his best position. Well, he's up atop. He's playing along Buxa. He's playing in that 4-4-2, and he's there to finish goals. And, you know, some of that is, you know, there wasn't a lot of passes for him to get. He wasn't getting a whole lot of service tonight because of you know we weren't able to break down the final third I don't think he was the biggest issue but there were some moments where he had the ball most notably that play in the whatever 60th minute and and he just didn't shoot and that's his whole thing that's it that's why he's there so um you know tonight's nights like tonight he was completely invisible and didn't help anything yeah I,
0: it, 100% um I don't have any argument to that it's just it's a little frustrating to watch that's going to wrap it up for us today. Do you have any more final thoughts, Greg? I know I, I took away
1: your one final thought. Do you have anything else that you wanted to go on? Yeah, I don't think I have a whole laundry list of, of other things. I was going to go into my DeWan Jones rant, channel my inner Jake. Um, already did that. I don't want to make people suffer through that again. And I'm sure people are just as upset as me on this. It, you know, we got three points, so I shouldn't be too, too mad about it. But really the unsuccessful challenge, losing that is, uh, you know, pretty big bummer. But overall, I, I can't complain. Three points. I think this was a a big win after last week where they kind of let one get away from them on the road. Um, Not the performance that I think a lot of people wanted, uh, but DC United is a very physical team. It it was no secret what they were going to do. They were going to sit back. They were going to park the bus. And I I think the revolution showed a lot of very promising things. We saw some very, very promising things from the newcomers. So overall, I'm I'm very happy. Uh, But the final third alarm bells, I'm not slamming on the panic button yet, uh, but I'm, I'm pulling it out and I'm keeping it within arm's reach because uh, it certainly gave me a lot of refreshers of last season. And we were a Andrew Farrell failed clearance away from walking away with one point in this one. Yeah. I guess
0: if I had anything else I want to talk about, it's just uh, talk about the fans. You know, it's nice to, to watch a Revs game and, and see fans back at Jolette stadium. Uh, it's I wish I could have been there tonight. I I, I wasn't able to make it. Uh, Greg, I know it's uh, even more difficult for you to make it, but um, Nayoko Funayama reported 7,500 uh, fans in attendance, and uh, yeah, it was really nice. You know, when when the refs made uh, bad calls, which was a plenty tonight, but there were so many boos coming from the stands. Which you know, when you get that pumped-in audio, you don't typically get the boos on the negative side of it. Um, not that a boo is negative, but you know, not necessarily uh, broadcast-friendly, I guess. Um, but it, it, it was certainly not- felt like more of a soccer game tonight. Absolutely. You know, and I'm not sure how much the fan, the, the players felt it, but uh, I would assume that it felt great to the players to have those fans back in the stands. Um, and, uh, you know, just hopefully we, uh, we get once we're just one step closer to having a uh, full capacity again, which is also just going to be another 18,000 max. Um, uh-huh. But that's OK. You know, 7500 is it's a great step and uh, just one step in, in the right direction. But that's going to be it for us tonight. Uh, You can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. Also, like our Revolution Recap Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also send us an email at revolutionrecap at gmail.com at any time with your questions and comments. And please, if you haven't already, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you are listening. We will be back next weekend following next week's matchup against Atlanta United. Until then, thanks to everyone for listening, and go Revs.